I'm looking at Mad Twins on ADHD, or you live with something who has ADHD. What is one? Um, <laughs> I'm, I thought it was TikTok, but maybe it's uh, Instagram. Was a mad twin, Saturday. Yeah. Where I run every day, sport, and time, GMT, or having fun. Sounds like bubble gum. <laughs> I think they're Swiss.
Open the eyes, open the mind. I just is that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
چی میشه
Music is my drugs. I'm sure I'm not pretty. Every day I'm busy. Sometimes I be dizzy. No time for the bullshit. Do you wanna feel my electricity? What?
Uh, it's like watching them for an hour. Maybe I was. 
I'm taking command of the English language, sacred spells of the English line, energy, power, influence, and energy of words. Me, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure some of it is intentional, but I don't think all of it is. I think there's a, what I call an electropoetic force that causes words to migrate across centuries, cultures, and countries uh, to come into the same vibration so that you have words that aren't, uh, that do not share a history. Uh, and yet there they are, they share a sound. P-R-A-Y mm -hmm. and P-R-E-Y is an mm -hmm. example of that. So some of it just happens because words are magnetic and we're passing them like coins. They have currency between ourselves and they get up, they, imp they imprint on us and we imprint on them. And so the point is not who did this and how did it happen, at least in my estimation, the question is, what do we do about it? Right now on Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Higher Journeys. I am your host, Alexis Brooks. And as I always say, if it is your first time here, I welcome you. Well, speaking of first time here, I told you 2023 was going to be the year of firsts. And uh, I don't think I'm disappointed because here... For the first time, I've got the most eloquent, lovely, insightful, heavy young lady, Laurel Erica, who today is going to be sharing a conversation with me and with all of us about the power of words, Laurel. It's deeper than the power. It is the energy, the frequency, how integral they are to our lives, the mistakes that we've made the love that we share, the evil that pervades the world, the love that pervades the world. It's everything. It is the word, as in the Bible, I believe it is John 1, verse, chapter 1, verse 1. The word, now I'm going to, I had it written down here and I should know it, but the word essentially was first. The word is with God and the word is God, essentially. So with that, we're going to be talking about the work. We're going to be doing a lot of talking today, but let me first welcome Laurel. Thank you so much for coming. What an honor and a pleasure to have you on Higher Journeys. What a delight to be able to spend time in conversation with you. I feel the connection between our hearts, very beautiful and magnetic, and just picture the flowing fountain of beauty and love and wordplay emanating through us and to your audience in ways that touch their hearts so deeply and lift their spirits and inform their minds and incite them to their own acts of genius, which Absolutely. come from divine connection. That's what this is all about. We need all of the tools in our arsenal that we can muster up these days, journeyers. You all know that. And I have always felt a kinship with our language in particular, language in general. Uh, we can never be reminded enough how important the words that we speak, particularly also the thoughts that we think because they typically precede the words that we speak. Uh, but now more than ever, when we uh, are being bathed in a world world of words that um, 
can be very divisive. We still have control of the words that come out of our mouths. So I thought it was time that we have this conversation. I want to start with a quote from a most incredible, short but powerful piece that Laurel wrote from her Word Magic Global, blazing a trail to a new word, word ardor. Understand where that's coming from? Play on words. Let me read this to you. Laurel, you say at the beginning, you, you say, language is software. The alphabet is code. And English is the leading software of the Western mind. It is filled with cultural biases akin to computer viruses that program our thinking with an antiquated and manipulated vision of reality promulgated by the church as an instrument of mind control at a time when people had to surrender their minds if they wanted to keep their heads about them quite literally. Talk about packing a wallop at the beginning. This is really incredible. I'm going to start with a question based on this powerful statement. And I'm going to read this to you verbatim because as I was typing this out, I found myself rhyming. I think I was catching your energy. This, so I typically don't read the question, but I'm going to do that because I, it's interesting the way it came out. Do you think that the institution we call the church, though so many years ago, instituted mind control as an instrument? The brainwashing was perhaps so powerful that it managed to seep its way into our very DNA so that in present day, we still act this way? <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> I caught the laurel, the laurel virus. <laughs> I can't well, help that. I love it. Have to think of a better word than virus. Yeah, we don't want this, to do this. Yeah, that's not a good Yes, thing. it is contagious. It's contagious. And it's I contagious. think that preceding the ancient church was a lot of uh, organized energy looking to control humanity. And um, certainly through language as through all the other ways. Well, that's a that's a deep way of starting that. But let, let's go a little bit deeper into that. My question to you based on that statement is could the how can I put this? The power and fervor of that mind control have been passed through the generations through energetically and through our literally through our DNA. Because what you're talking about that was instituted so long ago is still ubiquitous and prevalent today. Does that make sense? What well, I'm the archetypal battle of good versus evil. This kind of situation here we are again, and it looks mm -hmm. like it's coming to quite a crescendo. And so my focus has not been like, well, just, just to... Um, orient people to my work. I have a very popular video on YouTube called The Secret Spells of the English Language. I posted it in 2010. It shares what I call our premier life sentence, which is that we awake each morning and go off during the weekdays to share, uh, to earn our living while um, at various jobs and undertakings until we come to the weekend. And then I translate that sentence, pointing out just a few examples for the sake of time, that a wake is a funeral party for the dead. Mm -hmm. Mourning is the state we're in when we attend a wake. We'd have to be like a zombie staggering through the weekdays to earn the living since earned her for the ashes of the dead. And it goes on from there. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people who come upon my work want to know who did this to us that 
to me, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure some of it is intentional, but I don't think all of it is. I think there's a, what I call an electropoetic force that causes words to migrate across centuries, cultures, and countries uh, to come into the same vibration so that you have words that aren't, uh, that do not share a history. Uh, and yet there they are, they share a sound. P-R-A-Y and P-R-E-Y is an example of that. So some of it just happens because words are magnetic and we're passing them like coins. They have currency between ourselves and they get uh, the imp they imprint on us and we imprint on them. And so the point is not who did this and how did it happen, at least in my estimation, the question is, what do we do about it? Mm -hmm. And there's a wholesale effort to change language at the time to make, I mean, literally black seem white. Yeah, <laughs> um, and the boy is a girl. I mean, it's just, I'm sorry, it's a- It's total, inversion, right? It's We're what? talking about inversion. It We're is inversion. inversion. Yeah. It is inversion. And there are so many quotes that I could cite, but in this moment, not by heart. Um, from uh, ancient and uh, 20th century people talked, well, in Socrates, incorrect language is not only a mistake, it implants evil in men's souls. So um, there, this impulse, this recognition that this is the time for us to come together collectively and creatively to evolve the language so it can inspires the best instead of the beast in a song. Mm. That same impulse has been uh, you know, driven with this, let's call men women, let's forget about the word mother, let's just say birthing parent. I mean, could it be more insane? Yeah. And yet people hang in, you know, hold on to it. So that impulse is there. It's being co-opted, but we can take it in the direction it needs to go because Rumi says, speak a new language and the world will be a new world. Absolutely. And I agree wholeheartedly. I love Rumi. I want to bring, I think this is a good time to bring this up, Laura. When I heard you say, um, that language is using us. We are its human instruments. So I want to go deep real quick. Could language represent its own form of consciousness, uh, intelligence and consciousness? I, I, I'm reminded of the Buddhist, uh, Tibetan Buddhist monks who were alleged to create what is called the tulpa kind of a throw off of one's own consciousness that brought life through, you know, from it, from the, the individual came another secondary form of, of, of life that eventually took on its own intelligence. Although it, I believe that the Buddhist monks did this uh, consciously, could we be unwittingly giving birth to an intelligence that is associated with language? Hence, there is a uh, almost a symbiotic relationship between the language and us. Are we yes. bringing it to life? I have not looked at that. I haven't thought about it, but I will for just one moment here. I think every word we speak begins to take flesh and manifest. I wrote a piece called Putting the Source Before Descartes, uh, which is about the power of words and by our own thoughts and words we we all sentence ourselves as we jump from think to 
thing, never thinking anything about the weird phantasms all of us are conjuring as we spend our time in um, dissension. So that's not one of the poems I have fully committed to memory, but it's in my book, Word Magic, Wordplay That Puts a New Spin on the World. And so, yes, I do believe uh, it is done unto us as we speak and that this whole energy can coalesce to be uh, independent of us. I think that's called an egregore where there's the collective consciousness and then what that energy manifests in the world. And I think especially when we are cursing, when ugly things are coming out of our mouth to condemn someone else, and yet it's, you know, it's in our mouth. And um, I think that that creates energies that will return, whether they form as little human-looking clones or avatars. Is this a, a matrix? Are we Are we the projection of players on another dimension and we're projecting our own players and it goes down and down and down and down the rabbit hole but this is the opportunity now to this to ascend rather than descend exactly exactly that's very powerful thank you i want to talk about thoughts uh, not opposed to spoken words but preceding the spoken word uh even if the, they're not conscious thought it seems that um, words seem to act even more so than the thought in our head as uh, almost a carrier wave going out into the ether. I want to talk about vocal cords and the sound that is associated with the words that we speak. Um, and if and why they may be more powerful in terms of manifesting than mere thoughts. Oh, sound. Well, that would take someone who knows physics, uh, I believe, to explain or to opine upon. I can simply personalize it by saying um, words have always been alive to me with elemental energy. And so I'm very careful with them. I mean, it's an unconscious process. But People have wondered, if, you know, if I was from another country because I have an accent, they tell me. But it's basically that I enunciate. You do. I, grew, I grew up with people um, who, around me who spoke proper American English back then, which was British English. So I heard that beauty. But yes, I do believe it's alive. The words and the energies are alive. We can converse with them and they inform us. And I found uh, by chance the word kotodama. And uh, it's a Japanese word that means word spirit. And when I read it, and, and anyone who's interested can go to my um, communications consulting website, which is myname.com, laurelerica.com. And down the, the home page is the word kotodama and a quote from a Japanese author talking about you must take, <clears throat> excuse me, great care with um, how you treat a word and the honor you pay it by the place you give it to live in a sentence. Oh, wow. I love that. That to me, uh, perhaps I won't say corroborates, but maybe gives some credence to this idea that at some level, there may be 
what you might call individuated consciousness associated with words itself, the origin of which we don't know, the origin could be us. Um, but there, there's something to that. Are we breathing life into it? Is it is it ever existing and we're simply adopting it? I don't know. It's, it's something that I don't know that it's that important, but just care in the words that we speak. I love the way you put when you speak a word, it is in your mouth. It is in your proximity, particularly when you speak it out loud. I resonate with the spoken word for obvious reasons. This is what I do for a living. I love the written word as well. Speaking of written word, let's talk about spell casting. I know that you spoke about that. I want to give a shout out, by the way, of how I found this beautiful woman on um, Aubrey Marcus's great podcast. So shout out to Aubrey. We do not know each other yet, but uh, I'm a big fan of his show. And you, you did a fantastic, almost two hours with him. And uh, you did spend some time talking about, uh, we, we've heard this, of this notion before of uh, literally spell casting being comprised of, uh, at least as a start, spelling of a word, but it goes deeper than that. Can we talk about that for a little bit? We can, absolutely. So spell casting, I mean, we're all under the spell of the language and we're in a state of hypnosis and we put ourselves, in, we deepen the state when we uh, give our undivided attention to a movie or you know any sort of media entertainment or media games so we are we're under hypnosis words certainly can deepen the spell and i sent you uh, i don't know if you had a chance to look at it yet but it's called uh, proposing changes to our terms of agreement and uh, I find it a very funny uh, piece because it points out that how can we have a calm nervous system? It's a contradiction in terms, also known as an oxymoron. And it would take an oxymoron to propose having a calm <laughs> nervous system. And then how can we, when we're living in such a charged atmosphere and I hear in that at most fear, and they keep intensifying the fear vibration so that we are so jangled in our nervous system that we cannot rationally contemplate the kind of tyranny <laughs> that's being created and how it's using language to corrupt consciousness and culture. Oh and yeah. I don't know what to say after that one. At yeah, you can't fear. argue with it. You can't. <laughs> well, where did you get, let's talk about this for a little bit. There are, I would dare say, few individuals on this planet like you. You're maybe not the only one, but you are in short supply. Where did this inclination to, not even inclination, this connection, you have a resonant link with something that is bringing about something so important. This is important, guys, because when you start to look, I have always been fascinated with the etymology of words, always. Um, I, I thought I was a little bit, not off, <laughs> but just, just having that, that impulse to to want to look into. And I think our language particularly is just quite intriguing. And like you have said, our language is derived from other languages. So there's more embedded in, in it besides English, but for you, when and where do you think this came from? Well, so 
I experienced myself as being an, uh, an elemental of the English language. So I know I came here on assignment because I started at about three years old. And just as Alice in Wonderland is about Alice chasing after a white rabbit, my call to the journey was a bat. And it's a story I've explained elsewhere. I'm conscious of how limited our time is. But when I was three or four, I said to my parents, I bet I now know all the words in the English language. And anyway, it goes on from there. So I started listening to words and looking at them and finding that words with the same sound reflected, echoed and reflected upon each other. And in terms of etymologies, um, we think of them as scientific and they're not particularly, some more than others, but a lot is conjecture that then turned into history, the belief that it was history. So I wrote what I call my theriography, five chapters of it are on YouTube. They're not identified as that, but um, it's about this uh, Philomela Nightingale who goes through the looking glass into this dimension and has to deconstruct the language to find her way back home again. So this is a massive piece, only a little of which I've published thus far. In it, I wanted a wish-granting poem that would be bubbly like dippity-boppity-boo, but I, I need those syllables to be meaningful and to play a role, not just having an interesting sound. So the first two stanzas came immediately, and they are, <clears throat> with cryptic cabalistic tricks, I fix elixirs that equips linguistic mixtures to transfix. As fertile verbal herbalist, fertile verbal herbalist and hypnotist of gibberish, I stir within my crucible all elements reducible to simple symbols that eclipse the prospects for apocalypse. So when that came through me, because I can hardly claim authorship, <laughs> um, I was a participant, certainly. Um, I thought, what are prospects for apocalypse doing in my wish-granting poem? Mm. And years later, I read in a book, I believe it's called Healing Mantras by Ashley Ferrand, that in the court of Queen Elizabeth I, the wisest, most learned man was John Dee. And there was a belief at the time that music uh, paired with structured metered verse could calm hostilities. And he was working with a cabal of French and English poets to do create just that kind of verse as like a secret weapon for world peace. And when I read that, I thought I was there. That's why I thought I knew all the words in the language when I was three or four. And that's what Apocalypse was doing in my poem. So I'm, I feel I'm here on assignment <laughs> at con completing something I was part of before. When you said apocalypse, you know, there's this connotation in pop culture, I suppose, in history that that is a bad thing. But as we know, uh, at least one of the meanings in pop culture, I 
with structured metered verse could haunt the belief at the time that music uh, paired with structured metered verse could haunt calm hostilities. And he was working with a cabal of French and English poets to do create just that kind of verse as like a secret weapon for world peace. And when I read that, I, see a I was there. That's why I thought I knew all the words in the language when I was three or four. And that's what Apocalypse was doing in my poem. So I'm, I feel I'm here on a one of the meanings is revelation. Yes, and so in the veils. Absolutely, of which I believe it's time for. And so within that context, it would make far more sense to me why it was there, right? Yes. And so here's a word relevant to what I just shared. Um, that I came upon by chance. It's uh, anamnesis, and it means the soul's recollection of what it knew from a prior lifetime. And that's the first definition. <coughs> it usually has it with supposed prior lifetime. <laughs> and make note that <laughs> definitions, we are often deafened to and by our definitions but they change. Whoever's writing the dictionary at the time, um, it'll be different from dictionary to dictionary. Absolutely. And we know that now more than ever. Yes. <laughs> so the first, first uh, I hate to say meaning or definition, because they're both disabling, um, the first uh, description of anamnesis is the recollection of what one knew from a prior lifetime. And it has supposed in parentheses, mm -hmm. which is such a joke. The second definition is a patient's recounting of their medical history. Any connection there? Yes, that's what I call yeah. it. Words are either lost to obscurity or downgraded to the level of absolute absurdity. I heard, I've seen you, oh my gosh, this woman's writing. But tell us your website right now because I want people to go, of course, we're gonna have a link, but there is just so much rich material there. Oh, Thought-provoking. What's the website where your main writings are? Because I know you have it's, a couple. It's wordmagicglobal.com. So W-O-R-D. M-A-G-I-C-G-L-O-B-A-L.com. So lots of really fun things. And you'll receive my free book of E, a book of alphabet alchemy, if you choose to subscribe. Oh, boy. Well, we can talk about the letter E, something that I just learned from you. I learned so much just from going the last couple of days from Laurel's great work. Can you guess, Journeyers, the most commonly used letter in our alphabet? I would pause for a moment, write down whatever you come up with. I give you three seconds. Laurel, what is it? E. 
conversation, I hope I have the opportunity to share of the piece I wrote on the letter S. I think we should do that now because I want to, let's talk about some individual letters. I want to get into the energy of letters, not just the words, but the words cannot be made unless there are individual letters. And I have a sense that each letter has its own significance, just like E. So you talk about S, we may come back to E, but then we can take it a little bit deeper after that. Tell us about S. Okay, all right, let me find just a little preview on it. <clears throat> Quoting from a book by Gary Jennings called, what was it? The Personalities of Language. He said, it is a minor wonder that the letter S is still with us. It and its sibilant siblings in other alphabets have been abhorred by people who perceived in them the shape or sound of the dread serpent or the monologue of the even more dreaded Satan. The Yazidi Arabs won't pronounce the letter. The Hebrew scribes took care not to use it in the opening pages of the scriptures. The Greek poet Pindar omitted it from his odes. The medieval Romans use of the S as their number, their numeral for seven may have been intended to take the curse off of it by linking it with that traditionally lucky number. So um, I know many in your audience will know that there is a Sibylla, a little mark like a comma under the letter C in French to yes. indicate it's pronounced as S. Anyway, this is called, <clears throat> I'm going to take a sip of water. This is fascinating, everyone. And before we went on the air, uh, Laurel reminded me <laughs> that both my first and last name ends with an S. So what might be the significance of that, if at all? You know, they say that there's something to a name. Now, of course, Brooks is my married name. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Something to a name, that's a whole other subject we could go on. So much fun, too. I think there's a part two in the future for Laurel and I, for well, sure. That will be delicious. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But sig significance, yeah. Talk about that for a little okay. bit. Okay. Um, the significance of the letter S. This is called Esoterica by Laurel Erica, the definitive exegesis on the letter S in verse. And just parenthetically, an exegesis is an in-depth analysis, usually of a biblical um, passage. And this is an in-depth analysis of a single letter of the alphabet. All done in fun. <clears throat> so much turns on the letter S the serpent power we disavow that has the force to curse or bless both to divest and to endow s can turn a he to she decide to be or not to be for if the s did not exist then all would exit and be this 
S can make a sort of words, which is why we quake near William Shakespeare. And something even more absurd, S makes the comic truly cosmic, and even worse, makes cures a curse. The ancients thought the S was cursed, since with one swipe, reveres reversed. The mere inane, though quite insane, while potentates resigned their reign, yet still they could not wipe S off the page, for S turns out to hold the promise that with age one may turn sage. Our, excuse me, our laughter turns to slaughter when we think there's something to defend. So clearly with more self-belief, we abrogate most forms of grief. We fear the S, that slippery snake whose cunning caused us to forsake the word of God and thus to take the chance that we might fall awake. In essence, S has sourced our being because God is, I am, you are. And S facilitates our seeing the smallest speck, the furthest star. The sea, being mother of creation, the seeds are sense of separation. So S is at the start of sin. Some think it beckons Satan in, since through the S we all possess, and by that standard gauge success. But those shadows do emerge from S, so does the sun and happiness, which seems to mean the serpentine insignia so sibylline that sour and sweet, both sugar and salt, are tossed upon its summer salt till differences can't be distinguished. Yet, nor can they become extinguished. S being special and essential, is both profane and reverential. Its range of change is so prodigious, from sacrosanct to sacrilegious, it brings us saints and saboteurs. Good morning, Justice Department. Glad to hear you woke up and that you're going to be charging Mr. Trader Trump on Friday. Thank you for that, Jack Smith. I want to file to make sure he's disqualified at once. This is Trista for President, and I'm giving you your wake-up call every day at Justice Department until you do your damn job. What about the rest of the 160 Congress members who took part in the insurrection? They must be charged and removed from office at once. Under the 14th Amendment, none of these tools has the right to be in office or run. So disqualify Trump immediately. Also, many other things. Four corporations own all our media, so break up the corporate media. 
charge governors DeSantis and Abbott with human trafficking and remove them from office for their unconstitutional criminal conduct. As presidential candidate, I call on you to break, suspend the entire Republican Party for cheating in elections and persecuting minority groups. What about the treason and terrorism charges for Mr. Assface Nazi Dump and his GOP traitor bevy of fools? Where are those extortion charges for Zelensky? Oh, that's right. Merrick Garland, you said you were going to only go forward. But no, that's a crime. They must be charged. Charge them for their crimes. All of them. In fact, what about bioterrorism charges for the million people who are directly... Uh, they're dead, and it's directly the responsibility of Mr. Traitor Trump. Terrorist Trump. Bioterrorism charges. He purposely neglected his duties, criminally neglected his duties, and told us lies. It was a democratic hoax. It's going to go away when it got warmer. And then we had nurses in trash bags. Charge them. What about that whistleblower? That Kennedy whistleblower said he was he was told to change the numbers in his reports about COVID deaths. He refused to ramp up efforts to have masks and, and refused to wear a mask himself, of course. Protective gear and ventilator machines, remember? Y'all should have slapped him with charges the moment he left office. In fact, I remember hearing that Tish James had sealed indictments ready to go for when he left office. Where are they? Were the sedition charges. The only people who got charged with that were a handful of oath keepers, like 14, I believe, seditious charges you have made so far. What about the rest? So you charged eight, 900 people so far, big whoop. There were thousands, tens of thousands there that day. And you only gave them trespassing and picketing charges. I read the charges, Merrick Garland. Do your fucking job. Charge them all with sedition. Put them all away. You've got to nip this violence in the bud. And every time Mr. Assface Nazi Dump makes a another crime, you've got to charge him. Remember Russia, if you're listening, hack into Hillary's emails and guess what they did? They hacked into the DNC. That's inciting terrorism. You guys wake the fuck up. Wake up. Every time he does a new crime, you got to nail him immediately. And disqualify him immediately now. So we demand. Just Frederick Douglass said, power concedes nothing without demand. So here are our demands.